Hello, welcome to the 10th evening of the 2023 African Cup of Nations. And today was by far the craziest night of football I think I can ever remember in an African Cup of Nations. This was, the drama was, ooh, the variables, the mathematics, the calculations. It was absolutely nonstop drama from the beginning of the evening to the end of the evening. So it's such a pleasure to talk about it. Um, today's the first day of match day three of the group stages and so as a result you know you have two matches at 5 p.m over here and two matches at 8 p.m uh, group a and group b were playing i uh, i went to a fan zone here in abidjan to watch uh, cote d'ivoire play um, against equatorial guinea and uh, this was one of those where even prior to the match speaking to ivorian fans a lot of them were not 100 percent confident taking into account their performance against nigeria where they lost one nil um, many felt like this side were going to disappoint them, and sure enough, they did. The one, uh, the one thought that I keep thinking back to is that this Ivorian team coming into this tournament didn't know their best 11, and not only did they not know their best 11 uh, before the tournament, but now even three matches in, I still don't think they know their best 11, and the proof is in the pudding. After that loss to Nigeria, Gasset comes into this match, uh, and he completely changes the front line. So instead of, you know, uh, your Krasos and your Bogas and uh, Bamba, who were starting before, now he brings in three completely new different forwards, Diakite, uh, Kwame, and Nicola Pepe. If you're, if you're trying to make wholesale changes in the midst of the tournament, I don't think that's good news, not at all. Um, even at the right-back position, on one, the first match he starts single, and then he subs him, out at halftime for Aurier. The second match he starts Aurier, but eh, that doesn't really work out. And now he's back at single. Uh, the center half, first two matches, he started with Diomande, even though he was criticizing him in the press conferences. And now he brings in Willy Boli. So the fact that he's still trying to experiment and still trying to find his best 11, that for me, that always spelled trouble. Sometimes during these tournaments, you can find your best 11 as the, as the matches, you know, sort of come and go. Gasset still hasn't found his best 11 and I still don't think he's anywhere close to finding his best 11 and that's a big 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 problem and that's probably why Cote d'Ivoire are facing elimination uh, although it's still very possible that they qualify as one of the best third place teams so as this match started it kind of set up almost exactly as I expected it to you know Equatorial Guinea are a team that are going to set up and be very well organized and if you're surprised at all by Equatorial Guinea's success at this AFCON, it's because you haven't been paying attention. They've been playing at a very high level for the last three years now, including last AFCON when, you know, they knocked out Algeria in the group stages. They make it to the round of 16, they knock out Mali, and then they lose to Senegal, the, the future champions. Um, they're a side that's not looking to monopolize possession, looking to press, you know, take the ball off of you and, and spread out and, you know, knock it around. No, they're going to make sure they're fundamentally sound defensively. They're going to sit back, absorb, uh, Harry you in midfield. They have those scrappy midfielders like Iban Edu. Um, and then they can counterattack. Once you make a mistake, they'll make you pay for it, especially with a striker like Emilio Insue, who uh, is playing in the third division in Spain. We've spoken about him. You've probably heard about him. You probably know him if you're listening to this podcast. Third division in Spain as a right back. He has five goals in this AFCON. Not many strikers in AFCON history have got to five goals, so he can be very, very proud of himself, not just for this AFCON, but really his entire international career. And so, yeah, the first half, Ivory Coast created a few chances. Equatorial Guinea were sitting back. 
And if you're going to take the approach of you're going to put them under pressure and you're going to try to break them down and crack them intensively, which Cote d'Ivoire did, you have to make sure you're precise in attack and you have to make sure you score your chances when you get them. And, uh, and Cote d'Ivoire didn't. They had many chances. They had at least two or three chances that I can remember off the top of my head that they, you know, Nicola Pepe, for example, getting in on a goalkeeper, taking an extra touch, and Ovono, uh, the Equatorian goalkeeper, getting a hand on it and knocking it away. Those are the chances. If you're going to put them under pressure and you're going to apply pressure on them, that you have to take and capitalize on. They didn't. Not only did they not take those chances, but then when they were defending, uh, horrible defending, especially for the first goal, Emilio and Suez, the, the Equatorian right back, comes in and dribbles past, I think, four players, knocks a low cross in, and Insui detaches himself from the man marking and, and just beautiful technique, just sweeps it into the, the bottom corner, and Yahya Fofana can't do anything about it. And so immediately, <coughs> everyone at the fan zone is, you know, not in a good mood. And then Cote d'Ivoire, they seemed like they were a little bit cursed today too. I mean, they scored two goals and they both got called back for VAR. I don't think there's much Cote d'Ivoire could have done, you know, about the second goal. Maybe Yahya Fofana, you know, he's a young goalkeeper who's done really well in the second division. I thought he's done a good job in his tournament as well, distributing with his feet. But he got a hand to the free kick. I haven't seen like all the angles to it, but it seems like he should have done better, uh, you know, uh, saving that, that second goal. And then by then, Cote d'Ivoire trying to throw everybody on, attacking, you know, and that's another thing where you show a little bit of inexperience. You have three points. You know that in the previous AFCON, two teams advanced to the knockout stages with three points. You don't have to throw on a bunch of attacking players, you know, Max Gradel, all these players, and try to, you know, go all out and score goals. Just take your time. Be patient. Make sure you're not, like, leaving defensive holes behind you. And they didn't do that. They left a lot of holes behind them. And and sure enough, Equatorial, Equatorial Guinea made them pay for it. Emilio and Sui got his brace. Like I said, he's at five goals. Um, and then same thing, another counterattack for the fourth. And, and that was all she wrote. But four goals as a host nation, especially uh, a host nation like Cote d'Ivoire, who uh, have great AFCON history, that's absolutely inexcusable. And I think Cote d'Ivoire fans know it. Cote d'Ivoire players know it. The staff know it. You cannot concede four. You can't lose four nothing at home. When you're at Cote d'Ivoire and you're playing against Equatorial Guinea, again, with all due respect to Equatorial Guinea, who we really, really respect and who we think are a great side, 4 nothing is not acceptable. So, uh, the Ivorians, even like the, the stadium staff, the volunteers, man, they were, they were down in the dumps. And you, you almost, you know, on one hand, you're enjoying the drama of it all. But on the other hand, you feel for them. And you feel for the AFCON as well, because when the host nation is knocked out this early, you don't want the locals to sort of fall out of love with the tournament and then, you know, there's less of a festive atmosphere and all of that. You kind of want them to go, you know, keep attending the matches, keep showing enthusiasm. So that part is a little bit sad. But Divorians pulled out their calculators and they hoped for, uh, you know, good grace and fortune to, to bless them in the evening matches at 8 p.m. And sure enough, that happened. Egypt come into this match without Mohamed Salah. Uh, and let me take a quick moment to talk about that before I talk about the match. Mohamed Zalah picks up a hamstring injury against Ghana. He subbed out in the match. And what happens next is an absolute embarrassment. It's a catastrophe. It's shambolic communication between the player and his representative, the Egyptian FA, and Liverpool. <coughs> Salah is injured. The next morning, or the next afternoon, or was it even that evening? No, I think it was the next day. We hear that he's only out for two matches. 
great. That means it's a very light strain. It's probably not a torn hamstring. If he's only out for two matches, especially at the rate that matches come in, in you know, in the AFCON, that's probably like a week, maybe a, a week and change. Liverpool and Jurgen Klopp then come out and say, ah, you know what, Mohamed Salah, yeah, he's injured, na 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 na. Sorry, prior to Liverpool and Jurgen Klopp. The next morning, there's a press conference. Mohamed Salah is at the press conference. What's Mohamed Salah doing at the press conference? You know, like, he's not going to be playing in the next match. Uh, but he's at the press conference and he's answering questions as if he's, you know, part and parcel of the team and he's going to be staying here and leading, the, you know, as a captain and as a leader, you expect him to. No. Immediately after the press conference, two, three hours, we learned that he's going back to Liverpool. And then we hear the Jurgen Klopp in Liverpool say, you know what? It's actually a complicated hamstring injury. We're going to bring him back here for treatment. And then it's going to, you know, speed up his recovery. And if Egypt go far, he can absolutely return and for the Egyptian national team, blah, 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 blah. A few things here. This is your iconic player. This is your captain. This is your leader. Now we have to weigh the pros and cons, okay? What is the, the, the weight of having Mohamed Salah with the team in training sessions, talking to his players, leading them? in and out. How valuable is that? That's one thing to consider. How much quicker can Liverpool staff heal him? And do you really think they're do you really think that that's what that's what it is? I mean like how much can you heal, I don't know, a torn hamstring or I don't know. And then Mohamed Salah's agent the next fall, the following day after he comes under a lot of criticism in Egypt because you know he's again he's being compared to you know, Mohamed Abu Trika, he's being compared to Hassan Hassan, to Ahmed Hassan. And sometimes it's not fair because somebody like Abu Trika, for example, I mean, his personality is so great. He's such a nice guy. He's so well respected by everybody that we all seem like bums in front of Abu Trika, you know. And Mohamed Salah has to follow that act. So he's being criticized in Egypt and, you know, oh, there's a famous Egyptian journalist, Amr Fahmi, that says, you know, Hassan Hassan or Ahmed Hassan, you would have had to shoot them in the head for them to leave the Egyptian camp, you know. Uh, next day, we hear from Rami Abbas, um, Hamid Salah's agent, saying, the injury is more complicated than we thought it would be. It's actually going to take two to three weeks for him to heal. And as a result, him going to Liverpool, same spiel, him going back to Liverpool is going to accelerate his thing. And if Egypt go far, then he's going to come back. My, my main problem here is the communication. Why do we have three different stories from three different entities involved in, you know, uh, Mohamed Salah's interests? How difficult could it be for the FA, the player's agent, and his club to all come together and issue uh, a joint statement after they received all the information to protect the player from the criticism and the, the you know, that he's receiving at home now? Because it seems like each of them have different interests. Egypt maybe wanted to keep him here. Liverpool wanted to get him back. And Rami Abbas, his agent, just wants to, you know, like, uh, just want, cares about the PR. And the fact that they're all looking after their own interests instead of the player's interest, that's hurting him ultimately. And that's really one of the most unfortunate things about this whole episode. So the communication... I think is something that could actually affect Egypt negatively. And in the post-match press conference, uh, Egypt coach Rivitoria talked about it and he said that he wasn't happy with Liverpool uh, putting out some information through intermediaries that he thinks makes the Egyptian national team look bad.
Let's go back to the game, Egypt versus Capeford. Egypt don't have Mohamed Salah, they're lining up in their traditional 4-3-3. Um, and I think, you know, for large parts of the first half, it was a balanced match. Cape Verde, despite them making five substitutions because four players were on yellow cards, they didn't want to risk them being suspended for the knockout stages. They took them out and then Bebe uh, picked up a slate knock. Uh, so he, he didn't play in this match as well. So they, they sub out practically half of their starting lineup and they're still going toe-to-toe -to -toe with Egypt. I think Cape Verde are the most tactically and technically sound in this group stage of this African Cup of Nations, maybe alongside Senegal, who've also played uh, quite well intricate passing play in midfield. We asked the coach Bubista after the match, you know, why and how, you know, Cape Verde became so technically and tactically sound. And he said, it really has a lot to do with convincing the players with their style of play. And he said, once they started having fun, that's when he sees them playing for one another. And that's when he sees them perfecting, you know, the technical and tactical aspects of the match. So I thought that was a, an interesting answer, not deeply profound, but, but pretty interesting. So they're toe-to-toe -to -toe and uh, eventually Cape Verde opened a scoring, which is bad. Egypt equalize, Cape Verde score again, or sorry, Egypt equalize. And then Egypt is not, man, I, 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 I'm, I've scrambled brains for, I don't even remember exactly what happened, but I know it was one, one and a half. At the 85th minute, Egypt have three points, Ghana have four points, and Cote d'Ivoire are in trouble because, you know, Cote d'Ivoire have negative three, I believe, goal difference. And Ghana, up until the 90th minute, have four points, and they're winning 2-0 against Mozambique in Ebimpe. And sure enough, Ghana can see two goals in injury time. And Egypt score. So Egypt all of a sudden have uh, five points. Egypt have five points, they're second place in Group B. Uh, Ghana all of a sudden, only have two points and then Egypt concede as well and so Egypt finished with three points they still go ahead of the Ivory Coast because of goal difference um, and Ghana are most likely going home yeah Egypt are second in group B yeah that's correct that's right that's correct yeah that's right so Egypt don't even have to worry about third place my apologies and Cote d'Ivoire now are uh, are now third place and th th that's good for them because they're ahead of Ghana uh, of course who um, who finished in third place but with two points and that's not looking like they're going to progress there. Overall, I thought, you know, uh, what can we talk about in terms of uh, for Egypt? Mahmoud Trezeguet, I thought, had a great, great cameo uh, after he came on. He scored a goal um, and he got an assist as well. He was man of the match. And he's been one player that every time he comes on, uh, he scores or he assists like really, really important, um, really, really important goals. Mohamed Mustafa also, I thought, played well. Actually, most of the Egyptian front line played well. The main problem with Egypt at the moment is that they're conceding goals. And again, this was not expected because Rui Vitoria, you know, his reputation is that he's quite solid defensively. There are reports, and you can Google this, that Pep Guardiola was losing sleep because he, he was having to play against Rui Vitoria's uh, Benfica side and that they really, really struggled to break them down. Um, so as a result, the fact that they're still conceding goals cheap goals almost that's surprising and when we asked the coach Rivitoria you know what he thought about all of this he was saying that they're not structurally conceding goals they seem to be like individual errors that was his interpretation of things I don't agree with that he said he's going to rewatch everything and he said he's going to get it fixed because he also concedes that they're them conceding two, conceding two goals a game. They've conceded two goals in every single ma match of these group stages. That's a big, big problem for Egypt, and they're not going to go far in this tournament going forward. Finally, I'll just finish, wrap up uh, my final point about Egypt <coughs> by saying that 
they still feel like they can go far in this tournament. Mahmoud Trezeguet, as the man of the match, came in at the press conference and he said, you know, everybody's motivated to, to take the trophy home. He said that in Arabic. They still feel, that's that football heritage thing, you know, like, yeah, okay, it was a very tough group stages where we understand the criticism, but we absolutely still think that we can win this tournament and go home. And I think that could be a factor to keep in mind for later on. I didn't watch uh, Nigeria versus Guinea-Bissau. I didn't watch uh, Ghana versus um, Mozambique. But what I would just say is that Ghana, um, absolutely unacceptable that they haven't won a match in the African Cup of Nations since 2019. Um, I think Ghanaian journalists feel that way, fans feel that way. And it does feel like this is the end of the of the run for Chris Hutton, who, if you ask anybody, I think everybody respects him as a gentle, honest, kind-hearted uh, football person and many people would even say he's knowledgeable but he's probably conducted one of the worst periods uh, of Ghanaian football at an African Cup of Nations in, in a while so I think he's probably heading for, for the sack in the very very near future they're not mathematically eliminated yet but there's a very very small chance that they're actually going to go on through as one of the, the best third place sides so that's it, it was a night full of drama I hope you enjoyed it as much as, uh, as, much as I did and uh, that's it. So tomorrow we have uh, matches in Yamasukro and Buake between uh, Group C and Group D. Uh, it's going to be probably just as uh, action-packed and drama-filled. So uh, let me know what you guys think in the comments below. And uh, yeah, any observations that you have, I think, would definitely be interesting for me as well. So let me know what you think in the comments below. And I hope you enjoyed tonight's round of football. And we'll see you tomorrow.